Welcome to Straight Talk with Wine Spectator, a podcast from the world's most widely read wine magazine. I'm your host, James Molesworth, Wine Spectator's senior editor and special projects director, and you're listening to a special preview edition of Straight Talk, Episode 5. You can hear the full uninterrupted episode free at winespectator.com slash podcast. And as always, to help me kick the episode off is our podcast director, Rob Taylor. Welcome back, Rob. Hey, James. I feel like I should be saying welcome back to you. Mm. You went to the Rhone, mm-hmm. Portugal, mm-hmm. and Napa. And in this episode, we're talking about the Rhone, Portugal, and Napa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're covering Bordeaux next episode, right? I I don't care where you go between now and then. I'm heading back to Bordeaux at some point this year. It's been a while due to COVID and scheduling. Um, but right now, I just need the comforts of home for a bit before the next jaunt. Okay. All joking aside, this is kind of a sentimental episode. You became Wine Spectator's lead taster for France's Rhone Valley in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I was really diving into wine for the first time back then. And I was such a Shadow Enough to Pop and Cote Routine fanboy. And a lot of that is due to your enthusiasm for those regions. Well, I appreciate that. And definitely nothing wrong with fanboying out on those wines. It's It's been a nice run covering the Rhone for about two decades. It's my personal favorite region, which I can now admit to as I take off my journalist hat. (laughs) And uh, going deep over such a period of time, I got to see so much change there from Appalachians being planted out to their limits to the generational shifts at family domains and much more. And now, after 20 years on the beat, you're passing the torch. And is right. However, it's going to be in great hands with our colleague Kristen Beeler stepping in. Kristen joined me on my recent trip to the Rhone, and now she's joining us right here on Straight Talk. Hey, stranger. Hi, James. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Not to play favorites amongst the other wonderful regions that I'm lucky enough to cover for Wine Spectator, but I must confess the Rhone is especially near and dear to me. My in-laws live there, in fact. Now, tell me about this trip you and James just took. I was following along on social media, and I saw a lot of vineyards and cellars and a couple of really old wines. What a tour indeed. Yeah, so many highlights. In the Northern Rhone, we got to spend a day with Jean-Louis Chauve and his wife, Erin. So Chauve's reds and whites really represent the gold standard in Hermitage, and their cellar is like a catacomb. It's filled with these cobweb and dust-covered rare old bottles. And yes, Rob, you're right. Jean-Louis shared a few with us. We tasted the 1978 white Hermitage and a fascinating 1929 Van de Pie. That's a sweet wine made from grapes that are dried on straw mats. It tasted like liquid figs. So delicious. Yeah, it was really cool to stand there in Shav's Clo. Uh, I've been visiting with him for, for two decades. And, and I remember visiting with him the day that he closed the sale on what he has now named Clo Florentin. He didn't even have the key yet to the estate. So we jumped over the wall and we walked around inside. And it's really been a, a Herculean effort from Jean-Louis and Aaron that is now bearing some terrific fruit there. We also spent a day with Philippe Gall in Cote Roti, the northernmost part of the Rhone. You really have to stand in the vineyards of Cote Roti to appreciate just how incredibly steep these slopes are. The vines are kept in place by retaining walls. The Yigals employ 18 people full-time just to build and repair these walls. It's basically a never-ending job. The Gigal family is certainly among the Rhone's leaders, and their Cote Rotis are among the world's most sought-after Syrahs, of course. In advance of our trip there, though, we actually sat down with Philippe here in our New York studio. Welcome, Philippe. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Kristen. It's very nice to be here. I thought we'd start by talking about the 2020 vintage. What are some of your impressions of the 2020s and what can wine drinkers expect? I think it's a very promising vintage. It is true that uh, we've been extremely fortunate in the Rhone Valley to show, uh, let's say, a, a sequence of very highly regarded vintages. It started with uh, 2015, 16, of course, 17, 18 and 20. 
it's a vintage that uh, will offer and deliver a lot of pleasure. So stepping back a bit in time, your grandfather really is credited with reestablishing the Cote Roti region after World War II. You know, my, my, my grandpa arrived in uh, the small village of Ampuis, uh, where we still live today, uh, at the age of 14 years old. And um, he, he came there to visit his brother. And um, his brother was uh, doing the most popular and the most interesting thing uh, in Ampuis at the time, that is to say, picking apricots. Except that when my grandfather came around, uh, he's not been very much interested by the apricots because we have extremely impressive vineyards, very steep vineyards in Cotroti. And when he saw these steep vineyards, he started to ask questions to people. Okay, what are these? Vines. He's never heard about vines before, of course. And uh, he said, okay, um, is it interesting to grow grapes there? And everybody told him, no, there's absolutely no future. The future is in apricots. And the vines, you know, it's something that is going to disappear because it's very steep, it's difficult to work there. And, you know, there's... There's very little production of, of Cotroti. There were very little production at the time. And uh, he had another question. But is it something recent? And people said, not exactly. It's dating back to the Roman time. So it's more than 2,400 years. And my grandfather thought, okay, if it's there for such a long time, there might be something special. There might be something magic about it. In the full interview, Philippe went on to tell us about a new addition to his family's famed La La Trio of Cotroti Syrahs. Hear all about it at winespectator.com slash podcast. It's time to welcome our powerhouse port panel. Adrian Bridge is the CEO of the Flagate Partnership, representing Taylor's, Ponseca, Croft, and others. And Rupert Symington is CEO of Symington Family Estates, which includes Grams, Dows, Wars, and more. Together, the two of you represent a substantial percent of the quality port coming out of the Duro today. Rupert, let me start with you. Some houses have made a vintage port declaration for 2020, but there's not a consensus on the vintage. What goes into that decision? Well, back in the uh, late 19th century, the port trade came up with this sort of honor system where they were going to declare the years that were really good, so ask people to hold their money back in the less good years. And throughout the 20th century, we had about, on average, about three declarations per decade. Obviously, as time has gone on, People are making better wine in the off years. A declaration is very much a personal statement by the shipper. It's not a, a, a general matter. So there could be years that Adrian declares and we don't and vice versa. But on the whole, the, 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 the best years are very um, you know, noticeable and that lots of people come out and support them. What I've always found fascinating about vintage port in particular is the sort of way that the industry polices itself. But there's been a trend for the houses to release something every year now that I've seen sort of since 2013, 2014, either single quinta or a general declaration. The fact is that the market wants something every year, you know, and if you go silent for two or three years, then your brand becomes forgotten very quickly. You know, we're, we're all living in, you know, the days of sort of, you know, everything is you know, available at your fingertips. That said, if you don't declare every year, you are building up tension, you're building up demand, you're, you're building up excitement around the release. I think one of the beauties of, of port is that we look back to, for example, the boom, and if we want to put a boom starting of port, there's when, you know, the Wine Spectator put the Taylor and Fonseca um, 94s on the front cover as the wines of the years, 200-point wines, perfect scores, here we are. Um, and that, you know, there was a huge amount of interest around it at that stage. We've now moved on a generation you know, we're 30 years later now, but I think the delight that people have towards port and the understanding that there's different ports for different occasions, you know, is creating excitement at, at all generations. 
And I look to people who put wine aside for for a birthday and then they wonder when they should open it. And my encouragement always is, well, enjoy the journey of the wine. You know, try it every so often and just see how it is evolving because that's so, so exciting. Uh, wine is a living thing. And it is extraordinary that one can have in one's hand a drink that does stretch back over time. Um, and it's quite humbling. That's all we have time for in this special preview edition of Straight Talk, Episode 5. In the full-length episode, we also cover how winter flooding is impacting the California wine industry. We chat with Dr. Vinny about the basics of port, and we reveal Wine Spectator's Value Wine of the Year for 2022. And you can hear it all exclusively and for free at winespectator.com slash podcast. I hope you'll find us there soon. But until then, I'm James Molesworth, reminding you to always share when you drink the good stuff. <laughs>